Join the conversation with Tommy Weber. Pro and college baseball coach Tommy Weber brings you cutting-edge interviews and thought-provoking commentary in a weekly podcast dedicated to baseball, sports, current events, and the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and TommyWeberBaseball.com. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TommyWeberBaseball. It's time to get the conversation started, so here's your host, Tommy Weber. From the Gotham Podcast Studio in the heart of downtown New York City, the capital of the world, my hometown here in Tribeca, this is The Conversation. I am Tommy Weber. Great show. I'm so happy to have these two guys on board with us today. Uh, Two guys that I became very good friends with over the past summer. Really big brain guys. You know, in uh, the three years that I've been out on the Cape, I've maintained that um, we should kind of flip the script a little bit and the the young guys should be running the show. Uh, We get some really, really talented people. One of the great things about being out there is not only... The level of player, obviously the level of player, and those guys are also outstanding people. But the interns and the people that we are able to bring and attract from fabulous schools all across the country, uh, there is almost an unlimited supply of great young talent out there, and we have gotten our share of it. And today, we have two of the very, very best. Uh, If you listened and watched our broadcasts of our games this year, you heard two young men whose future is extremely bright, Um, two guys from Syracuse, the Newhouse School Journalism. Um, I, I see only great things in both of their future. We worked together uh, very closely as the season wore on, and we did some really, really great, innovative stuff. And uh, it was all ninety-nine percent their doing. And uh, I went along for the ride. And I want to welcome aboard Tim Leonard and Jack McMullen, gentlemen. How are you? What's going on, Tommy? I'm I'm great. <laughs> I'm great. Tim, what's happening? Hey, listen, what's happening? It's uh, another muggy. <laughs> it's just an extension of the summer. Another crappy, muggy, sticky day. It just doesn't seem like we're going to get any kind of fall. Uh, we certainly don't look like we're getting one. <laughs> just an extension of how brutal the weather was all summer long. And they got a lot of rain down here that we didn't get. We got our share of rain up in the Cape, but uh, we just had so much humidity up in the Cape. It was a real drag. How are you guys doing? How's school? It's great. really good. Yeah, I think we're all we're loving being back up here. Although it is kind of similar weather that you were talking about. I, I know this is still kind of crazy weather, but it's good to be back up here. We're working hard, and although we do miss the camp, I know Jack and I said that once we got done with our final broadcast, we said. It was one of the best summers of our life. It really is. We'll say it a million times after that. It's an unbelievable experience that I'm never going to forget. Uh, just to kind of like hammer Tim's point home, we both walked <laughs> into, uh, we're in the same radio station right now, and we both walked in wearing Cape Cod shirts. Um, <laughs> I wonder where you got those. Interesting thing. Well, <laughs> um, interesting thing, though. Boom. It is pretty hot and muggy. And, uh, and Tim decided to make a, a run to Sonic before this. Okay. And I, I kind of called that a psycho move, but that's beside the point. <laughs> Look, I, I hadn't had any food all day. And I need to be quick. I had a, a time crunch. I really don't see a problem with Sonic. You have a problem with Sonic, Tommy? I have no problem. I know you guys have... Look, you have a lot of... Let's just say this. Your tolerance for that kind of thing is a lot greater than mine is. I... Don't, I've never been to Sonic. I hope I never go to Sonic. Uh, I'm good with a salad and some grilled chicken. Otherwise, bad stuff starts to happen. Good living. Yep, yep, you bet. Hey, um, 
I had Don Snedden uh, on my last uh, podcast, did a fabulous job, was really, really an impressive guy. Um, and I was really taken back by the degree of um, clarity and uh, honesty with which he had a lot of ideas about the league. Um, you guys got to see uh, what most people don't see. Um, you got to see the Cape Cod League from the inside out. Most people see it from the outside in. And it's very easy to romanticize and kind of give uh, a certain perspective that perhaps um, isn't always accurate. And um, good, bad, and indifferent. Give me, uh, Tim, give me your, give me the things going out to the Cape that uh, what, what exceeded your expectations uh, and what didn't. I'd say to start out, I mean, the level of baseball and the skill from the players obviously exceeded my expectation, and that was high going into it knowing that a lot of these guys are going to be major league players down the road. It was really amazing to see that first turn. You couldn't really get that experience anywhere else. It's obviously the best summer league out there. So that exceeded my expectation. I maybe was a little taken back by the degree of maybe the behind the scenes work for lack of a better term and, and just how things are run. I think it's the type of league that has been around for a while and maybe has some of the old tendencies that could be cleaned up a little bit to put it maybe lightly, but, but I think it's, it's obviously a once in a lifetime experience spending the summer out there and just going to a game is something that I'll never forget to do it all summer was obviously unreal. And it still has that sort of romantic feel that is unlike any other sporting event I've been to. I, I agree, and and I think your observations um, are, are spot on. Jack, how about you? You know, probably the thing that I carried with me the most is just kind of hammering home the romanticizing baseball point. You, No matter what lens you're looking through, it could be from the outside in, it could be from the inside out. It's really hard not to fall in love with the Cape Cod Baseball League. And, you know, I got there day one, and I knew that, you know, I was going to be around baseball the whole summer and I'm so excited. And I left after what we played 48 games. And I said, this is, this has been everything I've wished for and more because it's, it's not just baseball because you could end up, you know, you could end up doing what Tim and I are doing, or you could end up playing in, you know, really middle of nowhere and somewhere you don't want to be. But I, I live five minutes from the beach and then I could come to the ballpark whenever I wanted and I could, you know, talk to these players that I became friends with. And you're not so bad yourself, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> 20 bucks, Jack will say anything, anything. Um, <laughs> so um, I, I, I must say you really did convey that through your broadcast. I, I can't tell you how many people said to me, wow, who are the guys doing the games? Because these guys are really, really good. I mean, the quality uh, was greatly enhanced by virtue of Lower Cape TV's involvement. And of course, Adam Polgreen is an incredible professional. I mean, really does a tremendous job. And all those guys that helped out were, were fabulous. That enhanced the viewing aspect of it. But really, as announcers, play-by-play and color guys, uh, I can't tell you how many people came up to me and said, my God, what a difference. These guys are really, really good. Speak to that. I mean, I, I know you both have a love for the game. That was evident. That came through really clearly. Uh, tell me how you pull that off, sort of hitting the ground running. Well, um, I think 
You go. You yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Okay, you go. So, I mean, first off, I, I have to mention that my parents always said their favorite segment was thinking caps pregame. So it wasn't just us. You were uh, Thank always you. helping us out, Tommy, and obviously great all summer long. But Thank you. But I think the, the thing that we really try to stress is that we were having fun doing these games because we really were. And obviously, Brewster had kind of an up-and-down season, and they mm-hmm. did that playoff run, which mm-hmm. was extra fun. But even in some of those dog days of the middle of the season when they're losing pretty badly and things aren't going well for the team and some players are slumping or whatever, it was still fun to be right next to the ballpark and right on top of the action and getting that opportunity, especially for me, because I had never called baseball before in my life. I played it up until high school and never had the opportunity to do it. Syracuse obviously doesn't have a baseball team, and that's really the only chance I would have gotten. So. To get that opportunity, we just wanted to make sure that we left and people knew how much fun we were having game in and game out. Jack? Well, we called 48 games together, and we hardly ever talked over each other, but we preceded that by talking over each other. So you can see that we're still shaking off the rust. <laughs> um, but I think I think that the thing that really stood out broadcasting-wise Um, We can't speak to Adam Polgreen enough, and we ended pretty much every game picking a new adjective to describe his importance to us. Um, Like, that guy did everything. And, of course, we have to thank Rafal Kowalczyk and Catherine Huntley and all those folks at Lower Cape TV. But, you know, Adam Polgreen, he, he made things move. You know, we got there at the beginning of the summer, and we had no idea how to put together the mixer to, and, like, how to get games on the air. Like, we didn't have the login for the YouTube Live. Um, but, you know, Adam set us up, and he said, oh, let's just get it directly to the site. That'll be more clicks and everything like that. And, and that man helped us more than I think Kim and I were ever imagining him, too. So I want to thank him. But um, yeah, just play by play and color wise, you know, I think that I, it helps that Tim and I were friends before this season, but you know, we weren't necessarily the best of friends. We were pretty good friends. Um, and you know, we got there and we knew that we weren't just going to hop into it with a stranger and we had to work through the kinks of, you know, learning each other's chemistry. We, we said, okay, we kind of know how each other operate and now let's just kind of hit the ground running. Um, and you know, as much as broadcasters can possibly become fans of an organization that they're that they work for and that they're, you know, employed by, we did, and we had so much fun doing it. And we would, you know, leave the ballpark, get in our cars, and, you know, call each other. I would have, um, if it wasn't my mom on the phone who was telling me like what I did well, what I didn't do well, it was it was Tim, and we were talking about, you know, this team and who was playing well, and you know how we did. Well, you know, it's interesting you said it. First of all, the chemistry was apparent, and you can't create chemistry. You know, it either, it's either there or it's not. You know, when you try to fake it, it really looks bad, and it, come, it sounds bad. Uh, so there was certainly a chemistry, and you're right. You never talked over each other, and, and that speaks to a certain generosity that you have professionally. And when you, when you talk about, you know, when the team wasn't going good, you still made it fun, I really identify with that because as a coach or as a manager or whatever your role might be on, on a team, uh, you're not, you know, the ball's not always going to bounce your way. Uh, You can't engineer the outcome. And I I have to say this, that even though it was miserable to lose, 
it was still fun because you get to work with these wonderful players and you get to the ballpark really early and you go through all this early work and you see how hard and how committed they are. That part of it and that aspect is fun. And if you don't get something out of that and you go on a losing streak, well, now it's just an exercise in misery. Um, and I think that like you guys still had fun even though the team wasn't doing well. So it wasn't really a celebratory exercise for a lot of the season. Um, that's kind of where we had to get as coaches. We had to get to a place where, hey, you know, listen, you know, we're, we, we've won three of our last 10, whatever. Well, let's just keep getting after it and see, you know, if, if today the worm turns. But we're going to still go through our early work, our reps, our drill work, you know, BP, defense, all this kind of stuff that we did the entire season. So it is really still a lot of fun. And I know it's kind of hard for people to, to identify with that because, yes, the objective is to win and there's nothing like winning. But there's only one team that's going to win. So there has to be something else in it for everybody else other than just raising that trophy at the end of the year. There was, um, there was a stretch of two weeks from the end of June to early July where Tim, if I'm not mistaken, we won one game. I think we might've tied another. I think it was a tie Um, in 14 games, two weeks in, in 14 games. And um, as, as weird as this sounds, we were getting to the ballpark then during that earlier than we did at any point before that, because seeing the guys, um, seeing the guys like happy and smiling and, you know, just having like a good time before that and getting reps in and, you know, taking ground balls and hitting in the cage and everything like that. It was, it was really fun for us to watch them enjoy maybe the last amateur baseball they get to play. It was also like we we got to the park early and there was kind of an epiphany at one point when they were struggling that, you know, if they're not going to play great, we might as well pick these players' brains and get stories out of them, whether it's their background right. or what they're working on in their game or stuff like that. And we had a platform to tell stories, which at the end of the day is what a broadcaster is at the crux of it. So. That was the biggest thing for us. If the game's not going well, how are we going to keep the audience into the eighth and ninth inning? We're going to have to have some of these stories filed away. And a lot of that goes back to the fact that head manager Jamie Shevchuk was willing to allow some of the players to come on the broadcast. And even we got to interview him every fourth inning on the broadcast. And that really enhanced our broadcast as a whole. And we got a lot of the stories out of that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you had some access that other teams didn't have, and um, that I really think enhanced your broadcast a great deal. Um, talk to me about the stories. Um, you know, when I say the Cape, what, Jack, what story um, or vignette pops into your head? When you say the Cape season or when you say, like, the Cape Cod Baseball League? The the year. The, the year that you spent. Like, okay, wow, that's the, the, that's, year. That's the story I, you know... Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, from, from a strictly broadcast perspective, and I definitely have, um, you know, a story in mind, but I think just a, a Tim and I self-manufactured, um, you know, inning and kind of just going back to Tim's last point, um, we lost to Chatham uh, near the end of the year, 17 to three. And Brewster, Brewster, law, Brewster walked, pardon, 15 guys. And that was the most in the decade in a game. Um, but we had, I think, our strongest half inning that we did all year because we got into a conversation um, 
the, the Chatham third baseman, I want to say it was Jorge Arenas. He might've had um, like a, a hot bouncer over to his, uh, his forehand and he kind of spun around and made the play. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I said pirouette and we talked about the ballet and we talked about because <laughs> um, this, this inning lasted a pretty long time. And we talked about the ballet and um, I said, you ever been to the ballet? And he said, no, um, I've actually never seen a musical. I've seen one play. And I said, oh, what play was it? He said, Fiddler on the Roof. And then my next one was, that's a musical. Um, so I, really wasn't probably, <laughs> I think that was probably one of one of the more fun self-manufactured stories that we had when we left. Um, but I think for me personally, the best story that I was able to tell was, um, you know, pregame, very similar to the thinking caps that we did where we're on camera in the booth. Um, instead of you, I had a wonderful chance to talk to Hunter Bishop mm-hmm. about, you know, the four mom foundation mm-hmm. and, um, you know, his mom and everything like that. And he was so open and honest and, you know, he cared about the message that he was getting out. And that was, that was something I'm going to remember for a very, very long time. Yeah, I could only watch that once. Uh, that was a really difficult thing to watch. It was great, uh, but it wasn't easy to watch because you just saw so much going on in uh, in Hunter's head and heart at the same time. And then you kind of take a step back and you realize he's a kid who's gone through this for the last seven or eight years. And it was really, really poignant. And you did a fabulous job of um, just, that's got to be a very difficult thing to do because you know that can go wrong really quickly and uh, you handled it with great care and you handled him uh, with great care and empathy and and I I wanted to thank you for that Um, and I'm sure he's very thankful as well and you're right he was very articulate and uh, it was was just a really special moment and uh, you know you you don't get a chance to do that every day. Um, Tim, what about you? Well, I think Hunter Bishop was definitely the story of the summer. I mean you can't speak to that enough obviously. He he is someone that he might be a shade younger than me, maybe a couple of months or something like that. But I learned from him more than almost any other person or any other person that I interacted with this summer, just because of how he was dealing with what he was dealing with and still performing at the level he was. And he's someone I'll always root for after this summer, just to echo that. But I don't know stories outside of that. I, I think Jack, <laughs> Jack, I think the Tommy Jew moment, when when we were doing that game for Hyannis is, is one that will always stick with me. I don't know if you want to describe that or I'll I'll let you go go into that one. So so Tommy Jew is uh he was the center fielder um for Hyannis. He's from UC Santa Barbara. Right. And he he was having a bit of a um bit of a world a wardrobe malfunction during the game. So we had a side shot and um, you know, his fly was totally undone. <laughs> And like his, his belt buckle, I don't think was even buckled. And and Tim just starts laughing. Um, and it, it, Tim was, Tim was on color at the time. And I, I couldn't stop laughing. laughing. <laughs> he, he couldn't get back on the mic and, you know, talk while I was laughing. So there was just some muffled laughs. It sounded a lot like Don Orsillo and Jerry Remy when they were on Red Sox games because <laughs> it got to a point of just uncontrollable laughter. And we, we thank goodness, Adam Polgreen and company got a shot of him realizing it at first base and, you know, zipping him up. But that was some of the best dialogue we had. That is great. Yeah. That is great. I think 
you just put it eloquently. You summarized it beautifully <laughs> by saying that it was a word of malfunction. But that really got to me. Yeah, that, that could is re- definitely a moment that I've told people. That could go south in a hurry. Hopefully, uh, we're not going to go south in a hurry. But we are going to take a break. We're going to be back uh, with Tim and Jack. Some more stories. You're listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. We'll be right back. This episode of The Conversation with Tommy Weber is brought to you by 4momalz.com. Join the fight against Alzheimer's and support our good friends, Hunter and Braden Bishop, as they bring awareness to a struggle that many families face through their charity, 4mom. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at hashtag 4mom. And for all your mortgage needs, call Northern Security Capital Corp., the New York area's most dedicated mortgage broker. If you're buying or refinancing a home, there's only one place to go. Call Northern Security Capital Corp. today at 718-273-1010. And now, back to the show. Uh, So we are back with our guys, Jack and Tim. Talking about Cape Cod, talking about a lot of other stuff. So let me ask you a question, guys. Um, I know this is right in your wheelhouse. Tim, I'm going to make you uh, king of the Cape, and you're going to get to change something. What do you change? Huh, that's a big question. I might I might minimize the length of the regular season a little bit. Um Maybe you cut it from what is now 44 games down to, I don't know, 30, 35. And I know that it's kind of hard because obviously a lot of how the camp operates is based on people giving donations and the more games, the more donations Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so forth. But just from the pitcher's perspective, I know there were, I think, only four pitchers this year that qualified for the minimum number of innings to receive the ER King or receive that award at the end of the year, you had to pitch a certain amount of innings and only four of them hit it. Obviously that's a whole nother dilemma and a whole nother topic, but in order to make the tape still the lead that it's going to be, you need to get the top pitchers and you need to get the top players. And I worry that that trend is only going to continue to get worse in terms of pitchers and, their reluctance to pitch an entire season and, and savor their arm for their MLB stock and so forth. Mm-hmm. It concerns me a little bit that that number was only four because I don't see how it changes unless you start lowering games or maybe adjust that number. And I think if you lower the amount of regular season games down to that 30, 35 range, a pitcher might be more apt to come possibly. I like your idea. I don't know if, I know I don't know if that number works, but I think that almost everyone is in lockstep with shortening the season for exactly that reason. And here's and, and regardless of the response that the Cape League and franchise wide may have, here are the facts. This pitcher preservation uh hysteria, I see no end to it. None. I think it's going to get a lot worse before it gets any better. Uh, I think people are going to become more protective of guys. I think guys are going to shut down earlier. I think pitchers are going to see uh, less of a need as players have to continue playing through a summer. Um, we've already seen a, a, a tremendous uh, decrease in participation in summer ball. And I think that unless you do something to make summer ball and the Cape more attractive so that guys will come out. 
Because if a guy comes out knowing that he's going to have to come back in three weeks because he's reached his pitch limit or his innings limit, as absurd as they may be, and in my opinion, to a great degree, they are absurd. But that doesn't matter. You have to deal with what the hand that you have been dealt. And that hand is the preservation hand, is the over-sensitivity to pitching injuries. Um, and until you do that, you know, you're going to be trying to sell vanilla ice cream to people that want chocolate ice cream and you're going to get fewer and fewer sales and as a result you're going to get fewer and fewer players and it, it just doesn't bode well for the league so I, I, I do agree I think it's a great point I think universally everybody thinks that the season needs to be shortened Jack um, so just kind of kind of building off the pitcher thing I'm, I'm petrified that Major League Baseball is going to start moving towards you know Sergio Romo type things in Tampa Bay where you get one inning starts or um, you know, Scott Boris taking out an insurance policy on Harvey's arm. Like, yeah, I, I feel like that just kind of dilutes and de-romanticizes the game of baseball. Um, the Cape in particular, um, talk about dilution. Uh, if a game gets rained out, the next time you're scheduled with them, if, if I'm the commish, you play two seven-inning games um, because that just that keeps your off days and I I really don't see a difference between that and a nine inning game. Say you need to start at six in Chatham and Orleans and all the places with lot with lights, and say you start at four in Brewster. Uh, I understand that there could be field dilemmas and attendance problems because five is the end of the workday. But I I think that in order to save these guys their off days um, and to keep the playoffs on schedule. We saw a backup in the playoffs, and it was um, it was interesting because there were guys that really needed to go back to class, <laughs> not necessarily go home so they right. could have five days right. Right. to chill out before class, but they needed to go start school. Yep, yep, yep. Um, What, did we lose on a Monday or a Tuesday? No, we lost on a Friday. Did we lose on a Friday? Yeah, I think it was a Friday. Well, we, we didn't we postulate didn't we postulate a scenario where the season could have gone like to late August? They're they're lucky. The league caught a break this year. If Wareham oh, yeah. doesn't sweep everybody, you could have had really a cataclysmic final you could have had like high school players playing i mean guys have to go to school we had tony losi last year who went to georgia on january 1st and we won it all on august 13th and he had to be at georgia on august 14th so he didn't get to go home until thanksgiving he was away for 11 straight months and it no longer suffices for the response to be and i have heard this response and this is not sufficient they know what they're getting into that's not the issue Yes, the players do know what they're getting into. But if you want to keep your league and keep the status of your league, then you have to cater to your customer. And your customer is your player. You don't have any other customers other than your players because without the players, everything else doesn't matter. The players are it. Coaches, administrators, GMs, uh, media people, fans. It would be a very boring game without the players. So you've got to make sure that you're doing everything you possibly can to attract, accommodate, and treat very, very well the best players in the world at this level. And when you tell guys, you know, when you when you have guys who want to go home, need to go home, and you're telling them, well, this is what you got to do, and we're not going to do anything to help accommodate you, I'm not sure that bodes well. I'm really not. And that's why I think if it's a revenue issue, 
then what the league needs to do and all the franchises especially need to do, the league really doesn't need to do anything. The franchises independently need to realize it's the 21st century. There are a lot of ways to generate revenue that you're ignoring. A lot of teams are. No online presence, not selling the league, not selling the team. How do you not have a TV deal? How is the best league in the world not televising its playoffs and its final series? Don Snedden made a great point. You could watch guys play video games on TV. ESPN is dying for content. You're trying to tell me they wouldn't televise? I know for a fact they would. Televise the championship series at Cape Cod League. Little League gets gigantic ratings. It's made for television. It's You already have what people want to see, the romance. That's already hardwired into the experience. Now all you got to do is show it to 30 million people. Two media guys think here. What do you think? Shot. Say again? No, I mean, think about a, think about a shot of the, the opening, like just opening the broadcast. Say it's round two, the East Division final, game two at Stony Brook Field, and you've got you know, all these kids on the playground and on the hill and everything like that. And you go to, you know, a shot dead center and you see everything. You see the the rocks laid behind the backstop, things like that. I There is, that is appointment television for a lot more people than I think, um, you know, these networks and maybe the league is uh, envisioning. I, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, it, you have all the resources. You know, it's like you have the oil in the ground. Now all you got to do is stick the hole deep enough and get the oil. It's already there. You have the hard part. You know, the Northwoods League can't create that because they don't have it. But you know what they have? They have a weekly highlight show. They market that league. Really? They generate revenue. Absolutely. They have a weekly highlight, highlight show. They have their own network. And now, as you know, with costs being so low, broadcasting is easier than ever. If you have a couple of cell phones, you can do a broadcast and a couple of microphones. Obviously, you're not going to do that. The league has far more resources and is capable of doing a much better job. But to do nothing and to say that the reason why we have to extend the season and have a season that nobody really wants is because of revenue, I think is very short-sighted. Yeah, and I think kind of going back to my original point of shortening the season, the counter argument would, of course, be they need the revenue and they need the games. But you're wasting revenue in right. some of the issues that you just outlined. So <laughs> if you you utilize some of the issues that you just talked about or you utilize stuff like a TV deal or using online or whatever the case may be, and you get that revenue, then you have the opportunity to shorten this season. And another reason why you should shorten it is because people want to go home at the point it is, we just touched on how people literally had to leave to go to class. Why is that a thing? Why not start the season a little earlier or either shorten it so it's not a thing, regardless of how long the playoffs go? Because I think if you shorten the season, then there's more emphasis on winning. I, th- I think a lot of those teams and a lot of the players around those teams wanted to go home. At no the question. The no question. And, and that's because they had to, they would have had no time at home if they made it all the way or whatever the case may be. So if you shorten the season, you'll, you also get the benefit of players wanting to stay and play hard all the way to the end and not get the fatigue or the aspect of them wanting to lose to go home. 
Yeah, and we know that that exists. I mean, that's the worst kept secret in the league. There are teams and guys, you know, I want to go. Everybody wants to go home. I mean, we all want to go home. Right, we wanted to go home a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's just natural. You know, everybody wants to go home. It's not, uh, you know, these kids have been away for a long time. They've played a lot of games. They've got very demanding schedules when they go back in the fall. Uh, They've got schoolwork. They've got to prepare. And it's nice to be able to spend 10 days with your family before you go back to the University of Arizona or you go back to UCLA or you go back to North Carolina or wherever it is you're going. And and why we refuse to accommodate that? I, well, I have I have some opinions on it. I won't give it here, but um, uh, it, it's just it, it it's baffling to me. And I, I I think the league needs to. You know, Don Snedden makes a great um, a great point. You know, he saw the Alaskan League, which used to be a league that was you know at one point was superior to the Cape Cod League. That league is basically you know diminished to almost nothing. Nothing lasts forever. So you want to be ahead of the curve. You don't want to be chasing it. And it seems to me like that's what we're doing right now is we're chasing it. Jack? Do you, do you feel like that could be some of the, um, not necessarily chasing it, but do you feel like that could be some of the allure? Um, to the Cape League, like it is. Yeah, I think they think. I think the perception to me. Bones. I'll say this: this will this will piss everybody in New England off. The people I haven't pissed off yet. These <laughs> these people. These will get the remaining few. <laughs> to me, Fenway and the and the Cape are very very similar. It's it's it bespeaks a certain mentality. Look, I love. Don't give it to us. I love Fenway. I love Fenway. Okay. But the reality is, there was no more storied ballpark. Then Yankee Stadium, okay? No more storied ballpark. The house that Ruth built was That's- a storied place, a, 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 a cathedral. Ruth, DiMaggio, man, I, I get it. They, in 1974, they basically turned it into the new Yankee Stadium because they modernized the stadium. And then in 2009, they knocked it down. They did. You know why? Because it had become a relic. It was no longer charming. Okay, it wasn't. And Fenway's lovely, but at some point in time, before the building falls down on its own, it's going to have to go because charming is one thing. One person's charm is another person's relic. And it's hard to compete when you have ballparks that have concourses and don't have restricted view seats and people can walk up the aisles if you're not emaciated you could actually walk up the aisles of most of these ballparks um and i think sometimes that's the mentality of the league is it charming yes but at some point it becomes a relic and it needs to change just you know, a, i don't i don't necessarily think i don't necessarily think it needs to, to come down um but it should definitely change and you see it with fenway and um, you know, I'm a Chicago native. I've grown up being around Wrigley. Wrigley was a dump right before its renovations. Um, and Wrigley is my Fenway. It's it's like un, unlike anything I've ever been around. And it's also pretty much baseball home for me to compare it to Fenway for some of these New Englanders. But Wrigley needed a serious facelift, and they got one about four years ago. Fenway go. has been slowly but surely getting that facelift. So I think that the time will come that, um, you know, McKeon Park in Hyannis is getting its facelift this offseason. Yes, it is. And there will be a time that, you know, the Cape will say, okay, we need to do something about these ballparks. We need to do something about, you know, the overall 
these these players psyche something like that i there will be a time when you know they'll change and it'll happen and it won't necessarily be victorian era baseball instead it'll become gilded age baseball and i think it's always i i actually think it's a good thing that it is um you know maybe maybe 25 30 years behind where we're at um because you know that is that's coming back to the grassroots of baseball good point good point i think I think I'm definitely, it sounds sacrilegious for me to say this and agree with you guys, being a Red Sox fan, but I think I definitely agree overall. And Jack, you kind of hit it on the head. It doesn't need to be torn down. Keep it in the same spot. Keep the green monster the same. Keep some of the staples. You can keep enough of the old stuff that makes it charming. Right. But it is so crammed to actually right. sit and it's, watch it's, the game in Fenway. Fenway now. Park is obsolete. I'm sorry. I love Fenway Park. I love the charm. You know, Yastrzemski and Williams and Jim Rice and, and, and so on and so forth. I get it. The Williams chair. It's obsolete. It's, 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 you're, you're purposely being rendered uncomfortable for the sake of nostalgia. It doesn't work. Fenway does not work. You could fit people in. It's great. You're gonna. You're on top of the. I get it. I get all. But the ballpark doesn't work anymore in the 21st century. It just doesn't. It needs to be made to work. However, yeah, you want to do I, that. When I went to uh, Dodger Stadium, I think a light bulb kind of clicked at that point because that's obviously somewhat recently renovated. Right. And I felt myself sitting down, more comfortable. I had space to like lounge out, kick my legs out, put my soda down next to me. I wasn't on top or rubbing elbows with the person next to me. That's the biggest problem with Fenway. You just feel crammed in there. You can still get the nostalgia feeling if you feel a little more comfortable. That's not going to take it away. I agree. I agree. Anyway, we're going to shift gears because um, I'm sure now uh, – that entire region hates us, but that's okay. Uh, that's why we have the conversation because uh, we're big uh, free speech advocates here. So um, we're going to play a little game. You guys ready? Uh, who's up first? Who, I'm wants ready. To, who wants to lead off? Who wants to lead off? Who's Tim does. Tim? Tim's right, the lead off lead batter? Off. All right. Yeah. Tim. Okay. Ready? We're going to play quick pitch. Quick pitch is a game we invented here on the conversation. It's a lot of fun and it gives us some insight into who you are. All right. So first question. Yep. First question. What's the last show you binged watched? Oh, last show I binge watched Entourage. You ever seen it on HBO? Oh yeah. When did you binge? When did you binge watch Entourage? Yeah, it was. Uh, I was late to the party, but I I watched it a while ago, and then one of my friends is catching up on it now, so I've been watching it with them. Okay. And getting back into it. Okay. Favorite food? Favorite food? Sonic cheeseburger. Just got it. <laughs> Good grief. Good grief. That's not actually my favorite food, but a, a good cheeseburger is, is my favorite meal. Okay. What a sophisticated palate. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Syracuse palate right there. That's a college palate. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Three dinner guests. You can't be related to them. Not living. All right. Tiger Woods. He's alive. He's the first one for me. He's alive. Just to pick his brain. Not living. Not living. Not living. Oh, not living. Not living. Morta. Oh. Dead. Ooh. Give me Ted Williams. Um, hmm. Who are some other big? Maybe Muhammad Ali. Two. One more. I feel like I shouldn't go sports again. Who's a big time celebrity? Maybe like a, a Marty Glickman or something like oh, that. Oh, wow. I'll That's a him. great one. That is a great. Oh, my God. Marty Glickman was great. You know, you know who, what, 
You know that Marty Glickman, who was his famous teammate? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. He was a teammate of Jesse Owens on the 1936 Olympic team. And I think, I'm not sure. Wow. I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if Marty Glickman actually went to the Olympics because they were in uh, Berlin and he was Jewish. And I'm not sure if Glickman, but he was Jesse Owens' teammate. Marty Glickman was great. Great. Okay, last. Ready? Yep. When you get to the pearly gates, what do you hope St. Peter says to you? <laughs> oh, my God. Sitting me right, right in the stomach there. Uh, I guess not to get too deep, but um, maybe just that that you gave it all you got. Essentially, that I I never shied away from anything, and I was hardworking from day one. I mean, my biggest thing is just give it all you got, give it one hundred and ten percent with everything. And obviously, Jack and I are going into a career path that is not necessarily common or anything that anyone in my family has done and it's off the beaten path and a little unique, but right. it's one of those things that you only live once and it's something that I love to do. So why not go for it? Even if it's maybe not what I end up doing, or maybe I pivot down the road. If it's not for me, I'll figure that out. But it's kind of my motto is just to keep going and, and give it all you got. Well, you know, I tell my students at St. John's, I say, you know, when you hear your parents go, you're crazy. You don't do that. Do that. Do that. <laughs> That's, believe me, follow your heart, man. Great answers. Jack, you ready? You up? I'm ready. All right. <laughs> What's your favorite food? I'm, I'm torn between either a very good steak or um, sushi. Good man, sushi. When you come down to New York, we'll get some good sushi and a great steak at Peter Luger's. Absolutely. What's your favorite sound? Favorite sound? Um, you know, actually I actually have a I, I have a white noise app on my phone. Um, and when I was a kid, I would always fall asleep the quickest if the the washer and dryer were on, especially the dryer. So I think the sound of a dryer is probably the best sound and evokes the best memories in my mind. Very cool. It's interesting how, why we like things. Isn't that amazing what we attach them to? These right. fundamental kind of feelings that we had. Okay, three dinner guests exactly. not living. Three dinner guests not living. Um, Come on, I'll give you time to think. I know. Um, Oscar Wilde is number one. Wow. I may go Edgar Allan Poe to get like deviating writer ideas. Um, and one more, I'm probably going to go... Hmm. Maybe, maybe JFK. Honestly, really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, he was he was a pretty he was a pretty literate guy. He was a pretty literate guy. Very literate guy, as a matter of fact. I I feel like I feel like I've got two ends of of the of the spectrum there, and then JFK would be a wonderful you know mediary guy. Okay. who would just kind of bring us all back down to earth. And I'd just kind of be sitting there smiling from ear to ear. Tim, is Jack big-leaguing us right now with those picks? What do you think? With those, yeah. those really I mean, esoteric picks. Like, what, what's, what was next? Right? Like, uh, Dostoevsky. Let's see, I'm going to have Dostoevsky, <laughs> Camus, and uh, Flaubert. That's what I'm going <laughs> to... Kimmel yeah, we awesome. get it, Jack. That dude lived a terrible life. We, yeah, we get it, Jack. You're you're better than we are. Okay, you're smart. You read poetry. We get it. <laughs> All right. What do you uh, hope St. Peter says when you get to the pearly gates, man? Um, 
they're inside. There are a lot of people that, um, you know, I feel like I'm knocking on wood, but I, I hope that I live a long and amazing life. Um, but there are so many people that I've already met here and unfortunately never had the chance to meet that um, I really want to, uh, I guess, interact with and just kind of be around for a very long time after that. Really cool. Really cool stuff. That's an old soul right there. That's that black Irish in you, man. That's what that is. That is really deep. And okay. I can chat with Oscar Wilde. There you go. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, don't be so sure about it. Um, I want to switch gears and I want to end up talking about uh, thinking caps. Um, we collaborated. It was really um, just for me like this cathartic thing, especially uh, since we weren't exactly going great. It really gave me a chance to to exercise some of the demons of a, a season that didn't meet our expectations. Um, uh, to talk to me about how that came about, how you guys came up with that idea, and just your impressions of it. Well, Tommy, I uh, I ran into you after Tim and I, you know, came to our first practice, I want to say. And, um, you know, I think I, I think I forgot something at the ballpark or in the booth and I had to run back and get it. Um, and I saw you and Kanzler walking, uh, just down the third baseline. And I said, Oh, that's Tommy. Um, and Chev had already told me that you want to do something with us because you had such a good relationship with Aiden. Yes. Um, so I went up to you. I said, Tommy, I'm Jack. I'm one of the broadcasters. And uh, you just said, I want to do something. Um, so <laughs> I... Well, that's pretty direct. <laughs> how classic of a Tommy line is that? But um, I, I went home and I, I called Tim and I said, okay, what can we do? And we just agreed that, you know, you can you can take a very minute detail in the broader scope of baseball and turn it into something that everybody understands. And I feel like we could do a good job catalyzing that. So I guess we just kind of, you know, came to that conclusion and said, we're going to, we're going to have before every game, we're going to, we're going to talk to you and pick your brain about one thing that stands out to us. And at the end of every game, we say, huh, I would, I would love to know a little bit more about that. Um, and that's kind of where thinking caps came up for us. Tim, you got anything to add? I mean, I think you hit it on the head. I, I, I did. I was excited about the opportunity, obviously. And when Jeff mentioned that, you gave us that homework assignment right off the bat. <laughs> I didn't really know you. I hadn't even met you because Jack was the only one that met you that day. But I had seen the videos on Twitter of you playing the piano and you had somewhat of a brand that I'd already known about going in and I figured it would be the perfect thing for you to sort of guide the pregame coverage. I, it became a cool thing for us though, because even during games, whether there was a play in the sixth or seventh inning or something, we would turn and sort of look at each other when there was a break during the broadcast and say, Oh, that's something we could talk to Tommy about tomorrow on thinking cap. So I, I wonder what he would think about that. And it just became cool because we could plan it out. And each time we knew that you were going to give us a deep answer and, and go into it. And it was really fun to sort of pick your brain throughout the summer. Well, you know, for me, um, people had been asking me about, 
you know, doing a lot of this stuff for years and years and years. And I resisted and, you know, you need to have the right fit and you guys are certainly the right fit. Uh, you know, you, you, it was just so comfortable right from the very beginning. I don't ever, I don't think there was ever a, an apprehensive moment doing it. Uh, your questions were great. Uh, you were very generous and allowed me to do what I tend to do a lot of, which is go on and on and on about something. But, um, you, you really, I think, uh, I got great feedback on it. People loved it. And, um, just so everybody knows, we're working on a couple of other things that hopefully we're going to collaborate on over the winter and into the spring. So hopefully it's, uh, as, uh, Humphrey Bogart says to Claude Rains, the beginning of a, a beautiful friendship. Um, I want to thank you guys. I can't thank you enough for everything. I can't thank you enough for first and foremost, your friendship over the summer. We really did become good friends and, uh, I'm, I'm really thankful that, uh, I got to, to hang with you guys for the summer. Uh, I know there's great things ahead for you. We're going to do something collaboratively here in the future. And I want to thank you for, uh, uh, stopping by and you are welcome guests anytime. Tommy, appreciate you, man. Yeah, thanks so much. It was fun to do a little role reversal and have you interviewing <laughs> us for once. This was a blast. Well, I hope I hope I measured up. The the bar is very high. And uh, <laughs> we will we will talk to you guys soon. Um, that's gonna do it for us on the conversation. We go out uh, with a real New Yorker. Billy Joel <laughs> This is the conversation with Tommy Weber, Fred and Florence's son, saying we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. Have any thoughts on today's episode? Ideas for a new one? Join the conversation on Twitter at Tommy Weber B-Ball or Instagram at Tommy Weber Baseball and share your thoughts. Tommy's back next week with a new episode of The Conversation. Subscribe and listen for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Stitcher. And of course, always at TommyWeberBaseball.com. Come.